Hello everyone and welcome to episode 24 of the Luna's Galaxy Podcast. My name is Emmy, but you can also call me Luna and I'll be the host of this show. The Luna's Galaxy Podcast goes live on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcast services on Tuesday every two weeks. For this episode, we have four segments, gaming news, what I've been playing, questions, and we have a topic of the show. And for this episode, we're going to be remembering the 3DS. We're going to be talking about our favorite 3DS memories, 3DS games, all that stuff. Just some reflecting and remembering. However, before we get started, if you would like to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I would very, very much appreciate it. Give me them five-star ratings, please. <laughs> really, though, I really appreciate it. Also, you can like the video on YouTube. That also helps me out. Subscribe. All that fun stuff. Also, I'm currently looking for feedback on the Luna's Galaxy podcast. If you have any constructive criticisms or feedback about what you enjoy about the podcast or where it could be improved, etc., etc., please comment below on the YouTube video. You can also use in the Discord channel, Discord server. <laughs> um, we have a podcast suggestions channel. Feel free to use that. Or you can also DM me on Twitter, whatever works best for you. Um, I really want to make the podcast better, so let me know if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about, you know, maybe some stuff that you really enjoy about the podcast, where you think it could be improved, just anything really that you'd like to see, anything. <laughs> I am very open to feedback because I just feel like it's time for the podcast to level up, I guess, and I really want to know, like, what you guys want and kind of work together with y'all to, you know, pave the way forward with Luna's Galaxy. But anyway, <laughs> let's get into the gaming news, shall we? So our first news story is kind of like a lot of things in one. So um, there was a new interview about Crisis Core Reunion, and there was some really interesting stuff in there that I want to touch on. So uh, just to get some quotes here... Uh, this one comes from the producer of Crisis Core Reunion. They say, We're doing a faithful retelling of the original Crisis Core, so there are no new story elements, but there are, on the other hand, many adjustments and improvements that we made to the gameplay experience as a whole. And I remember when Crisis Core Reunion first got announced, there's a, you know, there's a lot of theories about Final Fantasy VII Remake and what direction that's taking. And, you know, a lot of theorists and just people in general were wondering, like, because Crisis Core Reunion does seem to be more, you know, explicitly tied to Remake than the original compilation, are they going to change the story? Because I won't spoil it here, but if you played 7 Remake, you'll know that some of the divergences that they made in the story are very core <laughs> to Crisis Core. <laughs> so people were wondering about that. And personally, I've always been of the opinion that if they were to change Crisis Core's story to align better with Remake, that would completely defeat the purpose of Remake, in a way. Because I think with Remake, what makes that ending so impactful is, as the player, you know that this is not what was supposed to happen. And you know that, okay, things are going to be different moving forward. And if they kept... Uh, if they made Crisis Core align with Final Fantasy VII Remake that wouldn't happen for, you know, new players. Because there are a lot of people that got into Final Fantasy VII via remake and haven't played the original Crisis Core, the original Seven, or anything like that. And so I think you have to make it clear to those new players as well that, hey, there's some different stuff happening here than there was in the original. And I think Crisis Core Reunion 
is a really good way to showcase that to new people. And I just, I don't know how you could do Crisis Core and not have that ending be the way that it is. I don't think it's off the table for there to be, you know, maybe an extra cutscene at like the very end, like post credits that aligns with remake. But I, I, I didn't think there would be anything here and they've basically confirmed that. So that's really good. Also adjustments and improvements to gameplay is really good. I, it's been a while. It's been a hot minute since I played Crisis Core, but um, you know, it's, it's fine for a PSP game. You know, I didn't have any huge issues with it, but definitely I think to make it feel more fresh and good in 2022 or 2023, whenever they release this, I definitely think that that is, that is very good. And, you know, I would have been fine with just a straight up, you know, port, HD port <laughs> that we're pretty much used to when it comes to remastering games. But, you know, since they're going to such lengths to remaster it, it almost feels like a remake. Um, I am glad that they're also, you know, I don't know if overhauling the battle system and the gameplay is the right way to say it, but that they're really improving it and making it feel better. So that's really cool. And speaking of gameplay update, we have another quote here. The gameplay is also getting an update with Zack's attack combos now being linkable and limit breaks being accessible at any time, not just when they pop up in the in-game slot machine known as the Digital Mindwave System or DMW. Um, this is interesting. <laughs> in the original Crisis Core, how you did limit breaks and even how like you would level up <laughs> or get certain uh, status boosts were linked to this sort of the slot machine that had, you know, different characters on it. And if they aligned with the right numbers or whatever, you could level up or you could limit break and all these different things. It was really weird, honestly. It was a really weird system that they had in place. And I feel like for me, it's hard to kind of picture what those differences will be like until I play it. But I feel like they will be for the better. <laughs> I feel like they'll be better. And one of the other things that was in this interview... They said the rumors aren't true. There was nothing to do with Gact or a contract that was preventing a remastered version of Crisis Core. As you said, this is more due to timing. And there were so many rumors for so many years about, you know, they couldn't re-release Crisis Core because of, you know, Gact being the voice of Genesis. And I don't know if they, I think they used his likeness as well, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But, you know, just licensing issues with Gact and all that type of stuff. And that was, you know, what people were saying for years, and it turns out that was not the case. And I think I mentioned this, I think it was last podcast or maybe two podcasts ago, that Gact is returning for Crisis Core Reunion to voice Genesis. So it makes sense that that was not the case. <laughs> but yeah. And unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, the last bit of this interview that I want to talk about was they said there are no Dirge of Cerberus or Before Crisis remakes planned for now. Now, I'm going to put heavy emphasis on the for now. I really want to see a Dirge of Cerberus <laughs> remaster in the same vein as Crisis Core because one thing a lot of people will tell you about Dirge of Cerberus is that the gameplay isn't great. And it's been, it's been many years since I even, like, touched Dirge of Cerberus. And even, you know, the time I spent with it, like, I only spent a few hours when I was, like, I don't know, 14 I was really young. It's been a while. I do want to go back to it, but it's been a while. And, you know, from what I've heard and from what I remember, the gameplay is a big thing, a big thing of like, oh, this isn't great, regardless of how you feel about how hot Vincent Valentine is and how cool Final Fantasy VII is. Um, a lot of people just weren't about that gameplay. And, you know, they've said about Crisis Core that they have been making improvements to the gameplay and 
Val could do that for Dirge of Cerberus? Ooh, and make Vincent Valentine in, like, new graphics. Although, Vincent Valentine, I'm not gonna lie, he does still look good on the PS2 graphics. But anyway, anyway I don't know as much about Before Crisis, but I think a Before Crisis remake, honestly, might be even more intriguing because I could be wrong, but I don't think that ever um, came to the West. And it was only, like, a mobile game in Japan, but, like, before mobile games were, like, a really big thing. So... <laughs> I'd be interested in both of those. I really hope it is just a for now, like, like hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge type thing, because <laughs> I would love to see them. And I mean, personally, I think, you know, I, I might have said this before, I said somewhere before, um, I, I personally think that once we get Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, and then we're waiting for, you know, the next Final Fantasy VII Remake, you know, the conclusion to the Final Fantasy VII Remake trilogy, I guess we will call it. I think in between those games, we might get a Dirge of Cerberus remaster slash remake. And shout out to the person. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was right now. But I think it was someone commented on my reaction video to uh, the Final Fantasy VII 25th anniversary announcements. Because I talked about a Dirge remaster at that point too and how I wanted it. And someone said that a really good name for a Dirge of Cerberus remaster would be Final Fantasy VII Dirge of Cerberus reloaded and I was like oh that is so good so like fingers crossed they do that because I really like that so um shout out <laughs> to that person in the YouTube comments I thought it was funny but moving on from Final Fantasy 7 kind of um PlayStation Plus Extra and Premium have gotten an update and this is the first update that we've gotten since it launched and so for PS Plus Extra we have Stray and Final Fantasy 7 Remake Integrate have been added amongst some other PS4 and PS5 games, but like those are those are the highlights. <laughs> and unfortunately, only two new games for the premium tier of that that is composed of previous generation games. So I think they added two PSP games. Not 100% sure about that, but out of this huge, huge <laughs> backlog of games that you know PlayStation can draw upon for the service, we got two. And I, I think PS Plus Extra is going to be worth your money. If you have PlayStation Plus Essential, you like that, and you're thinking about upgrading to PlayStation Plus Extra, I think it'd be well worth your money to get to play, you know, even try out some PS4 or PS5 games that maybe you wouldn't spend, you know, full price on, or you're not even sure if you're going to join, so you don't want to spend money on them to begin with. I think that PlayStation Plus Extra is going to be worth a lot of people's money, and I might, I might buy it at some point, I'm not going to lie. It's just the premium tier, and, you know, the thing is, this premium tier only adds that backlog of games from, you know, PS1 to PS3, PSP era, and but they're asking for the most amount of money, and they're offering the least amount <laughs> with that tier, and that's the confusing part for me, where it's like, I almost feel like it should be in reverse, even though I know that doesn't make sense, because, like, more people are going to buy extra, because it's less money, whatever, but I really think they have to step up their game for PlayStation Plus Premium to really make that worth it. I know a lot of people are going to buy Premium anyway, but adding two games this month, it's like, I don't know. I feel like they can do better, especially when you consider how much more expensive it is. You know, it's the highest tier and you're pretty much offering the least amount of value at that tier compared to PlayStation Plus Essential and Extra. 
that's just my take. <laughs> I really hope to see more improvements with this for real because I am interested in upgrading at some point, but I've really, I've been waiting because I just, I don't know how I feel about putting all my my money into that right away. Maybe, maybe, you know, come December when I usually renew my PlayStation Plus, I'll just upgrade. But, you know, when the time comes to upgrade, I don't know if it'll be extra or premium because, you know, I do like that backlog of games. But at the same time, I don't know if it's really worth it. So they got to keep adding more games to premium. And speaking more about PlayStation, PlayStation has announced they're introducing PlayStation Stars, an all-new loyalty program. And the gist of this that, you know, I would compare it to is how Nintendo has their little rewards program where you get, like, I think it's, like, the gold coins or something and the platinum coins. It's something like that. They're gold and platinum, but I don't know if they call them coins. Points? Yeah, I think points. They look like coins. <laughs> anyway, it reminds me a lot of that where... It's free to join, so that's cool. And so I'm just going to read off some of the stuff that they had in this blog post. It says, once you become a member, you'll earn rewards by completing a variety of campaigns and activities. Our monthly check-in campaign simply requires you to play any game to receive a reward, while other campaigns require you to win tournaments, earn specific trophies, or even be the first player to platinum a blockbuster title in your local time zone. So yeah, essentially just play games <laughs> and you will be rewarded for it. And, you know, generally, I think that this is really cool. You know, Nintendo has their thing. I think Xbox also has their thing, but I'm, I'm not familiar with Xbox, so I won't really talk about that. But I like being rewarded just for playing games. <laughs> and this is, this is better than nothing. So this is really good news. <laughs> Another thing that they had in this blog post was all PlayStation Stars members will have opportunities to earn loyalty points. Points can be redeemed in a catalog that may include PSN wallet funds and select PlayStation Store products. As an additional benefit, PlayStation Plus members enrolled in PlayStation Stars automatically earn points for purchases on PlayStation Store. So, you know, earning points for your purchases on PSN, kind of similar to how Nintendo does their rewards. You earn like a certain amount of, you know, coins that, you know, whatever. So similar in that way. But you can redeem it for PSN wallet funds, which is also similar to how Nintendo has theirs set up. And this is just cool. This is cool. You know, I'm going to be buying games on PSN anyway. I might as well get some sort of reward for it. So that's really cool. And the last bit that I have here about PlayStation Stars is also, as a part of PlayStation Stars, we are unveiling a new type of reward called Digital Collectibles. Collectibles are as diverse as our portfolio of products and franchises. They are digital representations of things that PlayStation fans enjoy, including figurines of beloved and iconic characters from games and other forms of entertainment, as well as cherished devices that tap into Sony's history of innovation. And that's pretty cool. I, I feel like it's hard to really conceptualize what this will be like until I see it, but they have clarified that it has nothing to do with blockchain, NFTs, any of that. It does just seem to be this thing for fun. <laughs> But yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how PlayStation Stars plays out and I want to earn points and be rewarded for doing things that I was going to do anyway. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. And another interesting news story that I did, I already shared this on Twitter, but I think it's so interesting. So Twitter put out this little graph, this little thing that was basically showing the most talked about games in the first half of 2022. And this might be surprising to a lot of people how this plays out, because I'm sure if you're, you know, on gamer Twitter or whatever you want to call it, um, you probably hear a lot of people tweeting about, you know, big games, God of War, The Last of Us, um, 
you know, those types of things that, you know, hardcore gamers would talk about, I guess. <laughs> but this list might be surprising. It didn't surprise me, but it also did at the same time. Because, you know, I'm aware of how big mobile gaming is. Y'all know I love my mobile games. But almost the majority of the games on this list are mobile or, you know, can be played on mobile. And so starting at number 10, we have The Legend of Zelda, which honestly is probably the most, or at least one of the most, you know, hardcore out of all of this list, aside from maybe one other game. But that's not at number 10. And honestly, I thought that was pretty, pretty high. I figured it would have been something else. But anyway, and then at number nine, we have Valorant. At number eight, we have Fate Grand Order. At number seven, we have Elden Ring. So that's the other one that, you know, probably isn't too surprising. What number are we at? <laughs> number six is Apex Legends. And number five is Project Sekai. One of my favorite mobile games, Hatsune Miku Colorful Stage. <laughs> Number four, we have Final Fantasy. And number three, we have Ensemble Stars, another one of my favorite mobile games. Number two, we have Wordle. And at number one, we have Genshin Impact. And so just looking at the top five specifically, the only one of those games that, you know, isn't completely mobile is Final Fantasy. And, you know, that's like the entire Final Fantasy series that they're counting as this. This isn't like Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy XIV, this is just Final Fantasy. Meanwhile, Project Sakai, you know, Genshin Impact, Ensemble Stars, Wordle, that's all like one game. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not an entire series. Same with Legend of Zelda. You know, if Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, like if we were just counting one specific game, I don't think Legend of Zelda would be there. I think you might see Final Fantasy XIV on the list. And I think that's why Final Fantasy is so high. Because you'll notice also in this list that almost all these games are ongoing with the exception of Elden Ring and I, I guess you would say like Legend of Zelda. Everything else in this list falls into either mobile or ongoing. And so, you know, I think that the reason Final Fantasy is so high is because of 14 being an ongoing game. Even though it's not a mobile game, it's ongoing and it has a huge fan base. And, you know, Genshin Impact <laughs> is wild. And, you know, I think Genshin Impact is unique because, you know, you have a more mobile audience, you know, the people that are probably playing, you know, Project Sakai, Ensemble Stars that are into those types of mobile games are probably playing Genshin. But you also have more hardcore gamers that are into Genshin as well. But man, I didn't think Ensemble Stars would be that high. And I think one of the most interesting things about Ensemble Stars is that Ensemble Stars didn't even get an English localization for... This game has been ongoing for, I want to say, seven or eight years now, and it just got put out in English, like, two months ago, a month ago, <laughs> is when it came out, and, you know, I've been playing it since then. And so, like, these numbers are for a global audience, but I don't think so a lot of people realize how big mobile gaming is, and I think as, you know, more hardcore, you know, console gamers we kind of downplay the effects that the mobile gaming market has on, you know, other games and just the industry as a whole. We don't realize how popular they are, how influential they are, and how, you know, wild, <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word, but how big and, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh my God, it's like at the tip of my tongue and I can't think dedicated how dedicated that these fans are for these games 
I think is really, really interesting. And, you know, I play a lot of these mobile games and I don't talk about them that much because it feels almost silly. But then, you know, you see a list like this and it's like, oh, <laughs> Project Sekai, Ensemble Stars. Those are two games that I play literally every day, <laughs> but I never talk about because they're mobile games. And I think, you know, people just aren't really interested in hearing about that. But they have such huge and dedicated fan bases and, you know, the mainstream, you know, gamers, gaming journalists, all that type of stuff. We don't talk about mobile games unless it is something, you know, more groundbreaking like Genshin Impact. But they really are, like, they're huge. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not saying that more games journalists should be playing gacha games or, you know, mobile games with anime idols like I do. But, um... It's just, it's really interesting to me how this chart is. And so I thought I would share. And of course, Wordle is at number two because that was, that was like a cultural phenomenon for a period of time. But yeah, Ensemble Stars being at number three is just so intriguing to me. Wow. Anyway, stop, stop like downplaying mobile gaming. I understand it might not be for everyone. I'm not saying you have to enjoy mobile gaming, but you know, I think some people and not a lot of people, but you know, it's like a loud minority that just kind of shits on mobile games regardless <laughs> of like anything. And you know, I think that you can criticize mobile games and you know, predatory gotcha and just so many things about mobile games. But you know, I think at this point it would be kind of ignorant to just ignore um, how big they are and influential and all of these things. Like I said, you don't have to play them. You don't even have to talk about them. You don't have to think about them. But I just think it's interesting as a mobile gamer. And I thought that I would highlight that. But anyway, that's all I have for news. So let's talk about what I've been playing. So I have renewed my sub for Final Fantasy XIV. And I finished base game Heavensward. I haven't really started the patch quests yet. I've just been doing, like, the blue quests. <laughs> not the main scenario. Although the blue quests might be patch quests, but they're not main scenario. Anyway, so I've been playing a bit of that. So we're having Final Fantasy XIV Summer Round 2. And I also, I went back to Last Window. So you might remember me talking about Last Window on the DS. Uh, I think it was around February when I started it. And I just, I put it down around that time because I was really busy with university and it's a visual novel. So I was like, I don't feel like reading because <laughs> I'm reading every day constantly for university. And so I just couldn't stick with it. I put it down. Not be anything, any reason because of the quality of the game or, you know, I couldn't get into it. Um, it was really just that my brain was dead at that point. Anyway, so I went back to Last Window and I'm really enjoying that. I want to finish it. And I've also started Captain Toad Treasure Tracker for the Switch. <laughs> I was just looking for a chill game to play, and that's that's what I stumbled upon. I've been I've had it for a while now and just haven't touched it. So I've started it. It's so cute. It's such a cute game. I love it. I love Toad. Obviously. And the last game I've been playing is Ivasomnium Files Nirvana Initiative. And I finished it. I finished it a few days ago and I haven't stopped thinking about it since. I still have to work on my platinum for it. Probably going to do that after I finish recording the podcast. But man, I uh, <laughs> like what to say. Um, next episode is going to be all about Ivasonian Files Nirvana Initiative. I'm going to do a spoiler free review and then 
more of a spoiler cast. <laughs> so, you know, that'll be really exciting to get my spoiler-free thoughts. And then if you have finished the game, um, hearing more of my spoilery thoughts. <laughs> it's just... It's so good and so, I feel like, hard to describe. <laughs> but you gotta play Eye of the Somnium Files. You gotta play Eye of the Somnium Files, Nirvana Initiative. I think, you know, I've said this a bit on Twitter, but I think that Team Zero Escape is just doing things in gaming that no one else is doing. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just haven't played, you know, similar games. But the work that they do feels so unique. And, like, I really don't see anyone else doing these types of games in the industry. And I think it's a real shame that, you know, so many of their games are slept upon, whether it's the Zero Escape series or I, the Somnium Vials. I think that the work they do is just fucking phenomenal. And it makes, oh, it's just, your brain will change. The the brain, your brain chemistry changes when you play a Team Zero Escape game. I just, <laughs> it was so good. And if you have finished I, the Sonium Files, Nirvana Initiative, and you're interested in some of my reactions to that game, um, all the VODs are uploaded because I streamed my entire experience with the game. All of the VODs from those streams are uploaded on my VOD channel if you want to watch them. I also plan on making sort of a highlight reel video like I did with the 7 Remake DLC. And just capturing some of the highlights from those streams in the video. And I'm really looking forward to that. Oh my god. <laughs> like, I... Ah, it's so good. I'm going to have more coherent thoughts on this next episode <laughs> on why you should play it. But for now, let me just say you should play it. And I think it's a real shame that so many people are probably not going to play this game. You know, that's just how things go for Team Zero Escape, I guess. A lot of people sleep on those games. Maybe they don't look interesting to them. Whatever. And that's fine. <laughs> but holy shit. Like, it, it is so good. It's so good. And it's really... I said this before. I'll probably say it again next episode. But it felt like a love letter to, you know, I, the Somnium Files fans, Zero Escape fans, and both of those series. It felt so good. I love this game so much. I think it's probably better than the first I, the Somnium Files game. And if y'all know me, you know that the first game I play in a series is almost always going to be my favorite. That usually doesn't change that much, because I don't know. I think I'm a very nostalgic person. But... And, you know, the first eye is always going to hold a special place in my heart. And maybe that, maybe this will change because I'm just so fresh on Nirvana Initiative. But I do think um, Nirvana Initiative is better than the first game. And, oh, <laughs> it's so good. But I'll move on because I'll talk about this more next episode. <laughs> my thoughts are not very coherent right now. Anyway. So, before we get into the topic of the show, which is all about the 3DS we have the question segment, which lines up very well with this whole remembering the 3DS segment. So I asked all of you, what are some of your favorite games and memories from the 3DS era? What made it special for you? And you guys had a lot of answers, so I'm really looking forward to reading these. <laughs> so Mari says, OMG, I absolutely love Tamadachi Life. It's got to be my favorite 3DS game. And Mari also says, there's also that one face game with the helmets. I forgot the name. I played like quite a bit with my cousin and just pretty good. <laughs> I think I know the game that you're talking about, Mari, but I also don't remember the name of it. So 
there's that. <laughs> and then Mari also says, going back to Tomodachi life, though, I don't know. Maybe it's the way we can create whoever we want and personalize them, and then they get to interact with each other as well. And just the randomness and quirkiness of it. Just, hmm. And yeah, I'm going to talk more about Tomodachi life later in the episode, but it it is such a good game. It is such a charming game that if you have a 3DS and you're looking for a 3DS game to play, Tomodachi Life is my number one recommendation. And Tolly Zoo says, Resident Evil Revelations, Jill in a wetsuit in 3D. Yes, I am that basic. <laughs> I respect that, Tolly Zoo. Then V says, not necessarily but a game, but I have a lot of fond memories of bringing my 3DS to conventions and street passing tons of people. Made cons feel even more special and like I was connecting with fellow con goers who had similar interests as me. During my early teenage years, especially when I first attended cons, it was really impactful to me since growing up, I was often bullied and outcasted by my peers for being the geeky weeb girl since I liked anime and video games that weren't FPS games. Didn't help that I had glasses, braces, and an awful haircut, lol. Finding a group of people just like me and making friends that way was really fun and important for me in those years. And yeah, Street Pass, I think, I mean, I didn't have that much of an experience. I didn't go to cons or anything during that era or even now, really, because I live in the middle of nowhere. It's fine. Um, but I remember just having these weird experiences. Like, y'all know I go camping a lot. And I remember, like, going out camping and just, like, finding random kids <laughs> on Street Pass. I just assumed they were kids. I don't know. And, you know, just seeing some of their names. Like, I remember there was one that was, like, Sonic. It was some, it was some sort of Sonic reference. And I was just like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> I just assumed it was, like, an eight-year-old kid or something. Anyway. There was that. And I also remember um, they had this thing. I think it was, like, during E3 time one year where, like, you didn't have to be at E3, but it was just this thing where, like, Reggie's me would, like, show up in your Street Pass thing. I remember that as well. <laughs> Street Pass was really cool. And was it Street Pass that also had, like, the puzzle pieces? I got really into the puzzle pieces. Um, and I think it, like, tracked how much you walked as well. And that's how you could get the coins to, like, get the puzzle pieces. I don't know if I ever finished any of the puzzle pieces I or puzzles. I think I might have finished one of them, but I remember I was I was working hard. <laughs> I was working hard to get those puzzle pieces and to finish those street pass puzzles. Anyway. <laughs> and then Mila says, honestly, I have loads from playing Mario Kart 7, Super Mario 3D Land, Fire Emblem Awakening, and many other early releases back in the day to playing through the Etrian Odyssey games as that series is so relaxing and truly used the 3DS hardware to its limits. Atlas supported the 3DS so well, and I loved playing through their games on it, other than Etrian Odyssey, such as Radiant Historia, Perfect Chronology, and SMT4. Plus, also, the time when I was studying abroad in Japan and played my first Taiko game on my brand new Japanese 2DS XL. Taiko no Tatsujin Chibi Dragon, I hope I said that right, and the Fushigana Orb. Still got many more memories to make, such as playing through select games I missed, some Japanese exclusives, as well as the fan translations of games like Dragon Quest, Monsters games. Such an incredible handheld. Emila also says, oh, and the time I imported Persona Q from the US and used an exploit at the time to break the region lock on my PAL 3DS, then I accidentally patched the exploit out before I could beat it, RIP. <laughs> yeah, man. I feel like I also still want to play more games on the 3DS, but I don't know if I will because they're so expensive now and the eShop is... I mean, I think it's still there for a bit longer, but, like, you have to use eShop, like, credit card, not credit card, like, gift card stuff, and you can't use a credit card, and so that kind of made me, like, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I actually will, <laughs> which sucks, 
it sucks that so many games are so expensive that I missed out on, like SMT4 or um, I think it's like Devil Summoner. There's a few, there's a few Atlas games um, that I, they're so expensive now and I don't know if I'm ever going to get to play them, unfortunately. Man, I'm just hoping that someday I will run across them somewhere for a reasonable price, but that doesn't seem very likely for me, sadly. Anyway. Adam says, near the end when the Switch was out, I was annoyed with the 3DS, but looking back, I loved it a lot. I've recently used it to replay 999 and play Luigi's Mansion 2. I got my first 3DS for my 12th birthday while on holiday in France, especially to play Pokemon X and Y, which were actually set in France. I got Animal Crossing New Leaf and Ocarina of Time with it. I played so many of my favorite games on 3DS. 999 with backwards compatibility, VLR for the first time, Ace Attorney 1 through 6 in the spinoffs, my first Zelda game was Ocarina of Time 3D, which didn't click with me at first, but eventually picked back up and loved it. A Link Between Worlds was excellent too. A great system, just felt underpowered at times, and maybe outstayed its welcome, which is kind of how I am with the Switch now. <sighs> very, very similar experience for me, Adam. I got my 3DS on my 12th birthday as well. <laughs> it's kind of weird. You were like copying me? Anyway. <laughs> I also had a very similar experience with Ocarina of Time. Uh, that was my first Zelda, and I haven't gone back to it since. I didn't. It didn't click with me either, but I do want to go back to it at some point. And then Iron Aggro says, I never had a 3DS, so my only real experience with it was back in 2012 when Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance came out. I was checking out the YouTuber who was farthest ahead in the game, so my first experience with DDD was watching a 15-minute video every 30 to 45 minutes for like three or four days. Oh my god. That was why I got my 3DS was for Kingdom Hearts 3D. We called it 3D back in the day. I know we say DDD now, like Dream Drop Distance, but back in the day, and I still do this a lot, I say Kingdom Hearts 3D because that was, that was how they marketed it because it was on the 3DS, but now it's, it's, you know, you can play it in other places so that we don't say 3D anymore. We say DDD, but to me, it's always 3D. I feel like I just, like, aged myself as a Kingdom Hearts fan. Anyway. <laughs> Then QWERTY says, a few of my favorite 3DS games, Kid Icarus Uprising, Professor Layton, and the Azrin Legacy, definitely Animal Crossing New Leaf, same as Adam, Ocarina of Time was my first Zelda game. We had very similar experiences. <laughs> I'm still excited whenever new Zelda comes out. In addition, I adored Animal Crossing New Leaf. I tried City Folk as a kid but didn't and didn't really understand the concept of Animal Crossing, so I didn't like it and we returned it. Wow. What the hell, QWERTY? Anyway. <laughs> But after seeing the huge hype for New Leaf when it came out, I decided to go to go for it and try Animal Crossing again, and I fell in love. I played it daily after school and was always excited when the seasons were changing to get all the new furniture sets and rearrange my house. To explore my little town with the new coat of paint, adored that game. Sometimes I want to start a new town in there. I go back and forth on just going for it and saying goodbye to Animal Crossing New Horizons. Not that I play that often anymore anyway. Yeah. I restarted my, my island. Or not, it's not even an island in New Leaf. Um, your town in New Leaf. I restarted mine around the time that they did the big update for it. Um, a few years after it launched, I restarted my town. I tend to do that with all of my Animal Crossing games. I'm like, I'm not going to do it, but then I end up doing it because I just get frustrated at the mess that I've created. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Cordy also says, Professor Layton in the Azrin Legacy was definitely a huge game for me. The Layton series was my favorite at the time, and it was billed as the grand finale. 
I waited and waited and was so excited. I remember it actually being in a few Nintendo Directs, which made me super excited. Other people saw it existed. The weekend that game came out was so fun. I did nothing but play it all weekend, and it was a great weekend. Until I played Zero Escape, Azrin Legacy was my favorite game. And then you saw the light, QWERTY. <laughs> QWERTY also says, Another great memory on the console was when Smash 3DS was coming out. Nintendo released the demo in a weirdly exclusive manner. Random Nintendo members... Random Nintendo members would get emails with, like, five Smash demo codes, so you had to share them with friends, and that led to an entire do-you-have-a-code <laughs> community conversation. I managed to find one eventually, as did a few school friends. However, the demo only had 30 uses on it, but if you put the 3DS in sleep mode, it doesn't count as reopening the game. So I'd exclusively use my 3DS as a Smash demo machine for days at a time to make sure the demo count is stretched as far. And I think... I think all of the 3DS demos had, like, a, a limit on them. Because I remember I had a few demos on there. I remember the Kingdom Hearts 3D demo I played quite a few times. and like, But I had to stop myself because I was like, I don't want to use all my uses. And I still haven't used all of them. But, like, I'm probably getting down there. Um, <laughs> and I also remember playing, I don't, was it called Nintendogs? Nintendogs and Cats? There was a 3DS game that was in the same vein as Dogs, and I think it was Dogs, Dogs and Cats or something, and I played that demo as well. <laughs> Those are the two demos I played on 3DS. Critty also says, Only five characters in one stage, but that demo was so much fun. Really helped build the hype for Smash 4. Another fantastic thing about 3DS that I still miss dearly is Street Pass. Taking my 3DS on vacation and getting a ton of Street Passes in the airport or even getting street passes from the same two people at school and slowly building my puzzle pieces. Yes, the puzzle pieces. I'm glad I wasn't the only one that was like obsessed with that. I adore the concept, and it was definitely one of my favorite parts of the 3DS. I'm sad they didn't bring it back for the Switch or have an app that would register with other copies of the app. I don't know how exactly it would work, but I miss it. The last time I went to an airport, I brought my 3DS, and I didn't even get a single street pass. It really felt like the end of an era for me. The 3DS is perhaps my favorite console, just a ton of memories, and a pretty good period of my life. Plus, the games are mostly all great. Occasionally, I want to replay a ton of 3DS games and just replay the era, but also that would take a lot of time. But it is a thought I have pretty frequently. And then James says, an underrated gem, Pokemon Conquest. It combines Pokemon, Samurai Warriors, and grid-based tactical RPG. It's a fun game. And then Nightfall says, honestly, when it comes to 3DS, I gotta give it to Street Pass. I have so many memories of just random passerby me's when going to events and conventions and how it affected different games. Also, the 3DS was home to the resurgence of the Fire Emblem brand, and the first mainline 3D Pokemon games came to the 3DS platform as well. And yeah, I think the resurgence of Fire Emblem was huge for the 3DS. Obviously, we have Fire Emblem Awakening, but it really it really started a whole new shift in the series that I think, you know, it was huge. <laughs> it was huge for the series. But man, y'all y'all were going to conventions and like actually meeting people at Street Pass. That wasn't my experience. It was like my neighbors. And then, like, random kids when I was out camping. Anyway. <laughs> and then Stevie says, Final Fantasy Theater Rhythm was a very fun rhythm game on the 3DS. Also really enjoyed playing Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time on it. The quality of life improvements to those games were very good. Zelda Link Between Worlds is also a top-tier Zelda game. Then Andre says, Might sound too basic, but I loved Pokemon Sun. It was my first 3D kind of Pokemon and loved the Hawaii setting. Also had a little Rowlet. And then Kokiri says, Ocarina of Time 3D. I loved Ocarina of Time while growing up, and the fact it's now available on the go changed everything. The graphics look much cleaner and nicer, with each character looking like the designs from the old Ocarina of Time Player's Guide's artbook 
artwork that jumped into the game. And then Beep says, Animal Crossing New Leaf. I logged over 300 hours into my game because I was so immersed in it. Yeah, I I logged a lot of time into that game too. I don't think it was like 300 hours, although I could be wrong. I think it was like in the high hundreds, which is probably where I stand now with New Horizons as well. Anyway, and then at Cade Gola, I don't think I'm saying that right, but I'm going to say it anyway. Says, it was Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate for me. Not only was the multiplayer great, but for the, but for the 3DS to handle so many things happening at the same time, you got to respect the 3DS power. I don't think I really played, um, like, multiplayer games on the 3DS. I'm just thinking. At least, yeah. I don't think I really did. Wow. Interesting. And then Jay says, Fire Emblem Awakening and Fates. Two games where I really got comfortable with Fire Emblem gameplay, though not my first Fire Emblem games. Also being able to take Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask on the go. VLR, Pokemon, honestly too many to name. 3DS is an all-time great system. I, I agree. Um, I think the 3DS is so good. I miss it. <laughs> I still play on my 3DS, but I miss it. Then Redfield says, Virtue's Last Reward. But since you're obviously going to mention that, I'm going with Zelda A Link Between Worlds. I was kind of more of a 3D Zelda fan. This one single-handedly turned me into wanting to play more 2D Zeldas and Zelda-likes. Agree about Virtuous Astro War. <laughs> and then Aidgark? I'm sorry, I don't know how to say that name. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Please, please correct me. Says Resident Evil Re Revelations. And then Gamer Chosen says Tales of the Abyss for its amazing story and character development. I have Tales of the Abyss, actually, but I haven't finished it. That's one, that's a 3DS game I really want to go back to and just restart it, because I think I only got a few hours into it when I dropped it. So that's one I really want to go back to, especially because I'm, like, more interested in the Tales of series now. I want to get back to that. And Sam says, I don't know why, but Tamanachi Life was extremely entertaining. And then Trio says, Kid Icarus, though awkward to play at times, was such a fun time and did so much with its story and gameplay. It even had a fun multiplayer component to it. Props as well to the two Monster Hunters, three Ultimate and Generations, for lots of game time with friends. As much as I loved my 3DS and played it more than my Wii slash Wii U, I'm sure, once the Switch came out, I haven't had the drive to replay any of, my, any of my 3DS games. I guess having a full console in my hands has turned me away from a purely handheld console. That said, uh, there are some games I can't see leaving the DS family without greatly affecting the experience of the game. 100%. 100%. I really, the DS is definitely my favorite handheld, like, system, and I feel like I talked about this at some point. Um, it's weird how handheld gaming has changed so drastically. Like, obviously, we have the Switch, but we don't have anything that's purely handheld except for really mobile games, but mobile games, you know, structurally are so much different than, you know, games on, like, the 3DS, the DS, the Game Boy, the PSP, any of that, you know, with mobile, we expect it to be free with microtransactions and gotchas. And there are, there are games that are, you know, quote unquote, real games. I don't, anyway, that are more structured to a traditional, you know, handheld game that you would see on the 3DS, the DS, whatever. But it's weird now that it really is, it feels like it's now just console and then your phone. <laughs> I kind of miss having something in the middle. But anyway, so now let me talk about my experience with the 3DS. We've talked about all of yours. Now I'm going to talk about mine. So <laughs> remembering the 3DS. So I got my 3DS for my 12th birthday. 
And there's a picture of me somewhere. Maybe I'll see if I can find it and post it. But there's a picture of me where it's my 12th birthday. It's at my birthday party. And I'm sitting in a chair. And you got, I got my nice birthday outfit on. And I want to say I have, like, a, a crown on. Am I making that up? Did I have, like, a little crown on? I don't know. I was a bit dramatic. I'm still dramatic. Um, <laughs> but I was sitting in this chair. And I there's just a picture of me, like, holding the 3DS box. And, like, I have this giant smile on my face. I'm, like, freaking out. <laughs> it's really funny. Anyway. So I got my 3DS when I was turning 12 in 2012. Because Kingdom Hearts 3D was releasing in the summer. I think it came out July 31st. And I needed to get my 3DS. And I wanted... I was planning on buying this myself. I was like, I'm going to save my birthday money. I'm going to buy my 3DS. Because I had, prior to this, bought a PSP to play Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. And so I was like, okay, I'll like save up my money and I'll buy myself a 3DS. But then my parents surprised me and they got me a 3DS. So that's why in the picture I'm like freaking out because I didn't expect it. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about some of the games I played on it. Because there's a lot of games on 3DS. And I played a lot of them, but also it feels like not a lot of them because I'm reading some of your answers and I'm like, I missed out on a lot. <laughs> but anyway... So first off, I want to talk about some of the games on 3DS that have since been ported to other consoles or were ports to begin with, but that I feel shaped my 3DS experience. So obviously, first off, we have Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance, and I have in brackets here, we used to call it Kingdom Hearts 3D. <laughs> and this was the first game that I like truly binged. Um, you know, prior to that, I played games like a normal person, and I, I, I still do. I kind of... I went through a phase in my teenage years where, you know, I'd play games really quickly every now and then, but, you know, now I take my time. <laughs> that was the first game that I really um, went through very quickly. I think I finished it in somewhere between two to four days. I want to say closer on the two side of things, but I'm giving myself a bit of leeway. And I really enjoyed Kingdom Hearts 3D at the time. And, you know, I think... It's just, it was a fun game. And, you know, prior Kingdom Hearts handheld, specifically on the DS, so 358 over two days and recoded, I think regardless of what you think about the quality of those games, story or gameplay-wise, they feel like a bit of an identity crisis for the Kingdom Hearts series in, you know, graphically how they present in the gameplay and even a bit in the story. And that's not to shit on them. I just think... They're very different than literally every other game in the series in some ways. And so Kingdom Hearts 3D felt a bit more like a Kingdom Hearts game, if that makes sense. It felt more like, you know, Kingdom Hearts 2 on the PS2. And so I really enjoyed that. And I didn't play much with the 3D, but I do remember that that, that was a thing. <laughs> And, you know, it looked good. It was fun. Obviously, like, if I were to go try and play it now, it might not look as good. But at the time, I thought it looked fantastic. And, you know, I was really into the story. And now, looking back, Kingdom Hearts 3D doesn't have, like, one of my favorite stories in the series. But at the time, it was, like, super hype because Kingdom Hearts 3 wasn't out yet. And this was the most that the plot had really progressed since Kingdom Hearts 2 because Recode, it didn't do much. And so this felt like a huge step in like moving forward with the series. And so it was really hype at the time. And, you know, you got the cute dream eaters and it was, it was just, it was cute. It was fun. And then I also have a bit in here about playing the Kingdom Hearts 3D demo, but I already talked about that a bit. So let's just, let's look over that. And like 
Kingdom Hearts 3D was the reason that I got a 3DS, but I'm I'm so glad that I did because now Kingdom Hearts 3D is an experience that like yeah I enjoyed it, but I had so many better experiences with the 3DS that have nothing to do with Kingdom Hearts, and so you know would I have gotten a 3DS if not for Dream Drop? I probably would have when Animal Crossing New Leaf came out, but you know, that, I have no regrets. <laughs> I have no regrets. It was a very, it was a very good decision because, man, there were so many other games other than Kingdom Hearts that really, you know, made that experience really good. And the next one I have on my list is Virtue's Last Reward. This, this won't surprise anyone. This is my first experience with VLR. And, oh, I just, I, I have, like, vivid memories of playing through pretty much every Zero Escape game that I played. I remember I was playing Virtue's Last Reward when I was out camping, and I remember um, at first the kind of change in graphics from 999 to VLR was kind of jarring, because instead of the 2D sprites, you had the 3D sprites, and I was like, these don't look that great, but then, like, you kind of get used to them, and I I can't remember if this is true or not, but I remember hearing somewhere, it might have been the VLR interview with Uchikoshi, I think it is. Um, but I haven't, like, fact-checked this in a while, but I remember seeing something about how Ushikoshi thought that, you know, the game had to be 3D for the 3DS, <laughs> and that's why, um, the drastic shift in aesthetics happened between 999 and VLR. Anyway, such a good experience. Um, I really want to do an episode on Virtue's Last Reward at some point. I'm, like, waiting to replay VLR because I've been, I've been feeling it for quite some time that I want to go back to it. I just haven't gotten to yet. I'm, like, praying for a Switch remaster of the Nonary games. And then I'll replay VLR. But, like, oh, so so good. Like, it's such... I mean, 999 is my favorite Zero Escape game. It's my favorite game of all time. But VLR felt like a real step up in, like, the scale of things. It felt like, okay, this game is on a whole other level. And... It, it was just really cool. I really like Virtue's Last Reward. <laughs> anyway, we have Disney Magical World 2. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Emmy, what the fuck? <laughs> but it was good. So there were actually two games, Disney Magical World 1 and 2. And I played both of them. And this just, like, these releases just aligned very well with me. So when I was in my teenage years, I, I went on two trips to Disney World. Those were the only times I went in my life. And both times, the releases of these games lined up perfectly. And so, when the first Disney Magical World game came out on the 3DS, I was going to Disney World for the first time. And so, obviously, I bought it to play on the plane so I could, like, get hyped to go to Disney World. And, you know, I played it when I was there, all these things. And it was great. I loved it. And then... By the time that the second game came out, I was going to Disney World again. (laughs) And so once again, I, you know, I bought the sequel and I played it on the plane to Disney because the first one was really good. And they're both really fun games. And now you can play Disney Magical World 2 on the Switch. I have not played that version of it. But the 3DS versions were like genuinely so much fun. (laughs) And like, I feel like they're underrated. (laughs) Like, they're they're so cute. And, you know, it's this adorable Disney-themed game, and there's, like, a lot of stuff to it. It is kind of like a life sim game in a similar vein to Animal Crossing, but there's also some RPG elements to it. And 
it's it's so cute. Like the, the graphics are adorable, and you get to run this cafe. Um, and this isn't the main part of the game, um, but there is like you know some parts of the game where you, like you run a cafe and you can have different Disney themed furniture and recipes like off of the different movies or even characters like Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse. And it's so cute getting to like customize it in the cafe. You can hold parties and certain characters can go to your parties. So like if you have all like the little mermaid furniture or recipes, then like Ariel will come to the party at the cafe. <laughs> and it's so cute. And there's so many outfits. Oh, the outfits were adorable. And you could craft them. You could also buy them. But the crafting ones were like the really good ones. And oh my, there was, there's really so much content in this game. And so... Like, I, I never technically finished it, even though I put a lot of time into it. And, you know, there's, you can collect, in, like, ingredients and items and stuff to create, you know, different outfits and your recipes and all, you know, furniture and shit. And there's even, like, kind of RPG-like missions where, you know, I got to defeat these, like, ghosts. And you can get, you know, special items that way that, like, you can use for your crafting to, like level up like your wand so you can be more powerful when you do those missions or level up your armor create new armor create new cute outfits there's oh there's so much in this game and it's such a cute and wholesome cozy game and if that sounds at all interesting you if you really like disney and you want a cozy life sim game i'm not joking play it on switch because i fucking loved that game i fucking love both of those games on 3ds but Disney Magical World 2 specifically is on Switch, and they're just, they're cute. They're cute games. I put a lot of time into them. <laughs> anyway. Then we have Tales of the Abyss, and like I said, I really want to get back to this because I never finished it. I didn't get too far in it to begin with, to be honest. Um, but I have this vivid memory. This is a weird memory. So, like I've said before, I played my 3DS a lot when I was out camping, and we have a trailer. And I vividly remember one time I was really confused. I was like, where did I put my game? Where did I put Tales of the Abyss? Because I couldn't find it where I would usually put my games. <laughs> and I opened the fridge in our trailer. And that's where Tales of the Abyss was. Um, so I don't know. That I at one time I put Tales of the Abyss in a refrigerator. And I think it was there for at least a few hours. <laughs> I think it was there for at least a few hours maybe like I don't know anyway I just remember being like what the fuck because I was like asking my parents like have you seen my game and then when I finally found it like I had to tell them where I found it and it was just like anyway I don't know how that happened anyway <laughs> then the next game that I played that you know you can play elsewhere is Corpse Party that was my first experience with Corpse Party was on the 3DS with Blood Covered Repeated Fear and I actually got uh, the collector's edition of that game so like that's really cool because now it's like you can't get it and I think it's quite expensive um <laughs> and so that was my first experience with Corpse Party and I really fucking love that game it was honestly that's one of my first horror game experiences in general and it's a good game. It's a good game. And um, for the longest time, that was the best way to play Corpse Party up until they did. Um, they basically put the 3DS version on like Switch and, you know, modern consoles. So you could play it that way. And they added some new content to that as well. But it is more similar to the 3DS version than, you know, other Corpse Party versions that aren't as good. 
And yeah, that was my first experience. And one thing that really blew me away with Corpse Party was the 3D audio. Um, I played that game with headphones, which I usually don't do. But the sound design in Corpse Party is genuinely, like, so good. It's some of the best I've heard in a video game. But anyway, I've done an entire podcast episode on Corpse Party. (laughs) So you can check that out if you'd like, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on Corpse Party uh, as a series. But yeah, uh, that was a good first experience on 3DS as well. So now let's talk about some 3DS exclusive games that I played. So these are games that, as of now, are only available on the 3DS but that, you know, similarly really marked my experience with 3DS and really, you know, stuck with me. So Bravely Default, this was a game. (laughs) It was a really fun game. And I like almost finished it, but I didn't. (laughs) I think I got to like almost the very end of the game. And the reason why is because it can be a bit grindy. It's kind of like an old school turn-based Final Fantasy in a way, but there are like different gimmicks that, you know, set it apart. And there's four main characters in this game and there's there's like a class system. And so you can make these characters basically almost any class that you want and sort of play with them and figure out what works for you. And there's a lot of classes and you can level up the classes and it's, it's really cool. And the gameplay was fun and it has this unique thing where it's like, You can either like kind of like skip a turn and be defensive and like stock up so that you can be more powerful next time. Or, you know, you can not do that. (laughs) You can not do that. Um, And so there's there's cool mechanics in that game. And, you know, it has a really great soundtrack. It's it's a good 3DS game and it's a fun JRPG that, you know, if that sounds interesting to you, I'd, I'd recommend checking it out. I never got to playing Bravely Second, but... The first Bravely Default was was pretty good. It was pretty good. And I don't think you can play that anywhere else now. I think it's still just on the 3DS. Although you do have um, Bravely Default 2 on Switch. But anyway. And then we also had Fire Emblem Awakening, which, you know, I feel like we've all heard of. <laughs> this was my first Fire Emblem game. This is what got me into the series. And I played through this game twice. I played through it when I first got it and then again a few years later. And... To me, this is a real must-play from the 3DS era. Um, it's just, it's one of the most iconic games, I think, from that era. And like how Nightfall said earlier, um, this marked the resurgence of Fire Emblem as a brand, as a video game series, as something that could be more mainstream. And it was it was so good. It was so good. And that was my first experience also with like, the sort of strategy type gameplay. I'd never done anything like that before and I ended up really liking it. And, you know, I didn't have permadeath on. I'm not, I'm not that type of person, (laughs) but I did, I did really end up liking Fire Emblem Awakening and the character interactions as well. And the different classes I thought were really cool in the character designs. Tharja, Tharja, (laughs) she was really hot, but you know, all a lot of the characters were nice to look at. They were easy on the eyes. And it was a really fun game. <laughs> so yeah, get Fire Emblem Awakening if you're looking for a 3DS game. That's that's a good one to get. And then on a similar note, I also played Fire Emblem Fates Birthright. And this one, I finished it. I didn't like it as much as Awakening. 
but it was still a fun game. And I think that this really set the path for Fire Emblem Three Houses. So if you don't remember, or you know, you just didn't know at the time, Fire Emblem Fates, they had two 3DS games. There was Fire Emblem Fates Birthright, and I think it was Fire Emblem Fates Conquest. I'm not 100% sure on that. But there were basically two games where it was in the same universe, had the same characters, but it was like two branching paths. So think of it if Fire Emblem Three Houses, you had three separate games for Edelgard, Claude, and Dimitri. It's kind of like that. And so with Conquest, you would go with your adoptive family that you've known all your life. And then with Birthright, you would go with your, you know, blood relatives that you like just met. That was essentially what it was. Honestly, I feel like I should have went with Conquest. I feel like I would have liked it more. Mainly because Camila's character design was really hot. <laughs> and, you know, Birthright didn't have her because she was on the Conquest side of things. Um, but I heard that Birthright was easier. And so I just ended up going with that. And I never ended up playing Conquest because I just didn't like um, Birthright that much. <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't as strong as Awakening for me. But... It was still good. It improved in some spots. It tried some new stuff. But I think for me, it was just the characters and the story. I, I didn't think it appealed as much as Fire Emblem Awakening. And also, it just rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in that, you know, there were these two separate games. And there was like a DLC path that was like a mix of them. It was just really weird. It felt kind of cash grabby with how they did it. And then, you know, you got Fire Emblem Three Houses where it wasn't a cash grab. They put so much content into that game. And yeah, so something good did come out of sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of playing with those ideas of like branching paths and, you know, choosing what path you want to go down, what characters, all that stuff. Playing with that, I, with those ideas did, I would think, end up leading to Fire Emblem Three Houses, which, you know, fantastic game. But I think they didn't quite get it as right with Fire Emblem Fates. But anyway, <laughs> and also there was another Fire Emblem game on 3DS, Fire Emblem Echoes, I think. I only played a little bit of that. Um, that came out near the end of the 3DS life cycle, and I might get back to it at some point. But I think it turned me off a bit that I didn't have my own self-insert character. Um, it, it was more like, I guess, a traditional JRPG. There's no self-insert character, and so I was like, eh. But did do a lot of new things from what I remember when it comes to Fire Emblem gameplay. But anyway, I didn't play enough of that to really talk about it. So moving on. Another great game on 3DS was Super Mario 3D Land. And this was one of the few 3DS games that really takes advantage of the 3D functionality. So I'm sure most of us have this experience when you're playing on the 3DS where the 3D is turned off literally the entire time because it's just it's like not always easy to look at. And, you know, I have to hold the 3DS a certain way, which can be difficult. And it's just, you know, who cares? No one was playing on the 3DS for the 3D functionality, I would think. You know, it's one of those things where I think most of us, we played a game, we turned it on to see how it was, played with it for a while, and then we turned it off and, like, never used it again. Or use it, like, every now and again. You know, most people, the 3DS with the 3D wasn't the most great thing about that system, ironically, considering it's called the 3DS. But Super Mario 3D Land was one of the only games that really required you to turn on the 3D. And, you know, how the levels were designed was that you had to have the 3D on at certain points to kind of see how things were laid out and where you had to go. And I think that was really cool. 
obviously it's also kind of like, eh, eh, I don't know if I really want to do that, but I thought it was really cool. So yeah, it's a fun Mario game. I feel like that's all to say. It's a fun Mario game and it used the 3DS 3D stuff in a way that I don't, I literally don't think any other game did <laughs> on that system. So that was cool. And then we get to Persona Q. I never finished it. I got to like the last dungeon, I think. So that's kind of embarrassing that I still haven't finished it. But I was getting irritated with the puzzles. But it's a really fun game. I really enjoyed it. I haven't played a game like that before where you kind of, you know, you create your own map and you're kind of dungeon crawling in this first person view. Um, you know, the core gameplay of, you know, turn-based persona. I understand that. That was fine. Um, but I really like the character interactions in this game. Uh, the main plot was like, whatever. But I really like the character interactions because you get to see, you just get to see more of the Persona 4 cast and Persona 3 cast. And, you know, they can interact with each other. And it's just, it was fun. I liked seeing more of Kanji. <laughs> He's like one of my favorite characters. And that was the highlight of that game for me was, was basically Kanji. And, you know, there's just some goofy Persona stuff in there that I thought was fun. And that's about it. <laughs> Another game that I want to talk about is Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer. So, this really set the stage for the Animal Crossing New Horizons DLC. If you remember that, I think they called it Happy Home Designer, actually. No, they didn't. It was something like that. It was some sort of design. I don't know. It was very obviously Happy Home Designer related. But anyway, um, <laughs> it was a fun change of pace because at this point, Animal Crossing New Leaf had been out for a while and I think a lot of people were waiting for an Animal Crossing on the Wii U. That never happened. <laughs> and so this was just something cool for Animal Crossing fans. We got Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer. And it was fun. <laughs> it was, you know, catering more to the aesthetic side of Animal Crossing. And I feel like, you know, that did end up affecting New Horizons in a way. Not just with the DLC, but um, just kind of how that game plays out in general. And what it's kind of known for now with like customization and stuff. And so this was all about the design, you know, it wasn't, you weren't doing your dailies, you weren't trying to make money to pay off your loan, you weren't, you know, doing errands for your neighbors, you weren't doing any of that. It was just, you were working a job <laughs> in the Animal Crossing universe and you were making homes for, and customizing homes for villagers and also these little buildings. So, you know, you had like a school, so you had some shops, restaurants, hospital, all that type of stuff, which, you know, if you played the, the New Horizons DLC, it's like extremely similar. It is basically Happy Home Designer just as New Horizons DLC, which is really cool because Happy Home Designer was not New Leaf DLC. It was like a whole new game and I really enjoyed it. And, you know, one thing I do miss about that was I, I felt like the touch screen was very useful when it came to moving stuff in Happy Home Designer and, you know, doing stuff that way. So that was one thing I do miss when I think of, you know, New Horizons and the DLC that they had for, um, you know, customizing the houses and all that. That was one thing I missed. <laughs> but Happy Home Designer really set the stage for that. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun at the time. Just, just you know, chill fun. Anyway. So, now, I want to talk about my absolute favorite 3DS games that need a remaster that I highly recommend that really made my experience on the handheld. These are the ones that if you are looking for a 3DS game to play, you need to pick these up. If you are, you know, if you're at a yard sale, you see someone selling one of these games, you gotta grab it. It's one of the best games on the system. 
trust me, so good, so good. Um, you know, there are a lot of good games on 3DS, but these are the ones where I feel like everyone should play them and that they need a remaster. It's a real shame that these games have not been ported to Switch or anywhere else. <laughs> and, or like had a sequel, you know, some of these games don't really need a port. Maybe they need a sequel. I don't know. And, whew, whew, I need to talk about them. So let's get into it. So the first game will not surprise you. It is Tomodachi Life. <laughs> Tomodachi Life is my number one pick for a 3DS game that I just need more of. Whether it's a remaster or a sequel, I don't care. I need more of this game. It is so much goofy fun. Just so much fun. And, you know, I'm not sure if they could really do a remaster because there were some things that, you know, did take more advantage of the 3DS, whether it was, like, the camera for certain mini games or the touchscreen, you know, stuff like that. But I do think it could work. And, you know... We could also get a sequel. I'd be really down for a Tomodachi Life sequel. And it honestly amazes me that it hasn't happened yet because, oh my god, it was so good. It was just so much fun. I put so many hours into this game. It's probably up there with Animal Crossing New Leaf, to be honest. And so the basic gist of this game, if you haven't heard of it, you basically run an apartment building with a lot of custom me's. And so you start off with maybe like 20 slots, 20 apartment, you know, rooms but as you add more, as you play it more, you can get like up to, I want to say like 60 me's in that apartment building. <laughs> and so how I did this was I made custom me's as like myself. I made some for my friends. I did them for fictional characters and, you know, just some other like goofy stuff. And it was so much fun because it's, you know, the core of the game that I liked was sort of the relationship aspect of it. And so your Mies could make friends with each other. They could be best friends with each other. They could get in a relationship with each other. They could get married and they could even have kids. <laughs> like it was, it was a life sim in a lot of ways, but it was so goofy. And so um, <laughs> one thing that I did in Tamadachi Life when I first started playing it was I married Hagakure from Danganronpa. You might know him as Hiro if you played uh, like the English dub or whatever. But uh, Yasuhiro Hagakure. I married him in Tamadashi Life. <laughs> the only good Danganronpa character. And I remember they also had like really goofy like costumes and outfits. And I had a lot of them. I think there was a hamburger one and I made Hagakure wear the hamburger costume. <laughs> Like, it's just so, like, goofy stuff like that that I had so much fun with. And you could even, like, customize their voices. So, like, you can make it lower or higher pitch or, like, more clear or more, like, raggly. Like, it was, it was so cool. And it was, like, just text-to-speech stuff that you could, um, like, adjust sort of how it sounded. And it was so fucking funny <laughs> giving them, like, different voices, you know, it was just so cool, and you know, hearing just the text-to-speech of, like, how they would say things in funny ways, <laughs> and you could, like, give them custom catchphrases. Oh, it was so, it was so cool, the amount of customization that that game had, and you could, like, level up the different characters and, like, how much time you spent with them, so, you know, every time that you fed someone, you could, like, get more affection from them or something, or, you know, you did an activity with them, you can do so much. Every time you did a favor for them, all that type of stuff. 
And when they leveled up, you could give them like little kind of rewards that then they could use in their apartment building, even if you're not like playing with them at that time. Like if you just scroll by and you look at, you know, what, what your Miis are doing in the apartment, maybe one of them is like playing on their Wii U or, you know, playing Wii Fit or something. <laughs> There's a bunch of stuff like that. And there's just so much personality in that game. And it's one of the most goofiest, enjoyable, just fun games I think I've ever played. And it's so fun. And every me had their own favorite food. And there's so many foods in that game to choose from. So, you know, it would be like, I still, there's a lot of me's in my Tomodachi life that I don't know what their favorite food is because I just haven't had the time to feed it to them. They also have like a least favorite food, but when you give them their favorite food, they'll like soar off of planet earth and go into space. And like, it's just, it's so funny. It's so funny. And like the relationships were a big aspect of it where like, I said this before, but, like, you'd go into a Mii's apartment and they'd, they'd have this little bubble and you'd, like, ask them what's up and they'd be like, oh, like, I want to be friends with, you know, this other character that's, like, has another apartment. Or, you know, they'd get crushes and there was this really funny thing where, um, you know, a character could have a crush on someone and then they'd be like, okay, I'm going to go confess. And they'd go to confess on the beach to this one character. And then, um... <laughs> And then as they're confessing, like, another me would show up and then confess their love. And then, um, you know, the me that has been confessed to by, like, two to three people has to choose someone. And you don't get to control who they choose a lot of the time. I don't think you do at all. I can't remember exactly. But they can't choose. <laughs> like, you can't choose. And so, you know, maybe you started off thinking that these two would be in a relationship, but now it's these two. And it's, it's just so fucking goofy and so much fun. The the one thing, the, the one thing I do say is that I don't think there was any same-sex stuff. Um, so if they ever did remaster or do a sequel to Tomodachi Life, I would really like that. And I don't think, you know, I don't know if they would want to be, like, give characters certain sexualities and be like, oh, are they interested in, you know, men, women, both, whatever, you know, do something like that be more inclusive, whatever. Because that was one thing I had where I was like, oh, like, I can't make certain me's get together because they were gay. So that was one thing. But, like, for the most part, it was so fucking funny. <laughs> it's so much fun. And, like, you could literally have kids where it would just be, like, a mashup of um, each me. And so, like I said, I got married to Hagakure, but I also got married to Junpei from Zero Escape at one point. Me and, ha me and, ha me and Hagakure got divorced. That's another thing that can happen. You can get divorced. <laughs> it was so much fun and you can like go on vacation so like when the Mies would get married they would go on like a honeymoon to a different country <laughs> and they like there'd be these little pictures of them like being tourists and they could like get in fights that's the other thing I forgot to mention about the relationships that they can get into arguments and they'll be like really sad about it or really angry or like you'll look at their apartment building and they'll just be like throwing shit at each other and they'll have to apologize later. It's this whole ordeal. There's so many, like, silly mini games that I think would be so much fun, like, as a streamer to do. <laughs> like, it was a lot of fun playing it by myself, but I think it'd be even more fun with a community. And, like, they had rap battles at, like, a certain time of day. You could go to, like, the town square or whatever it was called. Maybe, I think it was, like, the fountain. And your like, the Mies would do rap battles with each other. <laughs> like... You know, when you go on for the first, you know, in the morning, 
um, all the me's would, like, give you some money for the day to, like, buy food or clothes or whatever. And there'd be, like, the morning market, the afternoon market, the night market where, you know, one of your me's would be selling whether it's, like, clothing, food, whatever, at, like, a discounted price or, like, something that you can only get during those markets and not the regular store. There was so much. And they had, like, weird dreams. <laughs> like, at night you'd go and you'd click on them and you'd, like, look at their dream. It would just be, like, something fucked up and then they'd wake up and be, like, like, there's so many funny Tomodachi Life videos on YouTube. Like, if you don't have the game, watch some of those videos. It's so funny. And they could do concerts. So, like, you could pick a genre and then just, like, write in your own lyrics and the text-to-speech would, would do it. It was, it was so fun. There's some really funny Tomodachi Life videos on YouTube. <laughs> and, uh, it, it's just, it's so much fun that, like... It's, it amazes me that this game hasn't come back in some capacity yet. That would that would make me so hype, honestly. It's one of my favorite 3DS games, if not my favorite. And, you know, what, another thing that's surprising is that after Tomodachi Life came out, they did Miitopia on the 3DS. And that has been, um, you know, remastered for the Switch. And so I'm like, why did they do Miitopia and not Tomodachi Life? Because Tomodachi Life is so much better. Um... <laughs> Man, we need, we need a new Tomodachi Life or a Tomodachi Life remaster. Because that's the thing, like, like, as a streamer, I think it would be so much fun. But, like, it's really hard to stream 3DS games. It's like, I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to think of the logistics of that, whether it's emulating or whatever. That's so much effort. But I think it'd be such a fun stream game. So I'm like, please remaster it. It would be so much fun. Like, I did play it like you would play Animal Crossing. Where, you know, you log in multiple times a day. And, oh, there's another thing I forgot about. They did, like, daily news reports. So, at a certain time every day, one of your me's would, like, do a daily news report. <laughs> it would just be, like, goofy shit. And it was so cool with, like, the text-to-speech. And, you know, they'd just be like, oh, like, they asked someone on the street. And it would be, like, another one of your me's that, like, said something fucking stupid on TV. It was so good. It was so good. That's, ah. Uh, Ah, uh, bring back Tomodachi life, please. Please. So good. Okay, I have to move on. <laughs> One of the next games I want to talk about is Animal Crossing New Leaf. Y'all probably saw this coming. I have so many hours into this game. And most Animal Crossing fans, I would think, would tell you that this is the best Animal Crossing game. And I see why. Um, I don't know where I stand with what my favorite Animal Crossing game is. I think that they all have um, different strengths and weaknesses that are really hard to kind of pin down what one is the best. I think it really is just depends on the mood, <laughs> at least it does for me. But I see why a lot of people see this as the best one because this, this was such a huge jump from, you know, Wild World and City Folk to New Leaf. Because Wild World and City Folk were like very similar they, you know, City Folk basically just added the city, which had, like, a few more shops, a few more things to do. But it's basically the same as Wild World. And then when you get to New Leaf, you're the mayor. So previously to that and, you know, other Animal Crossing series, you were not the mayor. You were just a resident. You were just a neighbor. You were just a person that moved here. And, you know, everyone knew each other already. You have the mayor, whatever. But... In New Leaf, you are the mayor. You come to this town and they're like, oh, our mayor isn't here yet. Like, can you fill in? <laughs> and then that gives you a lot more control over the game than, you, than you've than you had previously. And so, you know, you get to do, you get to add, like, not really furniture like you would in New Horizons, but you get to have, 
these sort of town projects where you can add like a bench or a bridge and, you know, these different things that you didn't have control over in past Animal Crossing games. And so that that was that was really cool. And, you know, you had this town area, which was pretty similar to the city in uh, City Folk, where you had, you know, the different stores and, you know, the museum and all that type of stuff. And they also had some really fun stuff, like um, the little DJ thing that would happen at night, like K.K. Slider was a DJ or something. There's a lot. There's a lot in New Leaf that was a lot of fun. And they also did a big update in New Leaf. I think it was a few years after it released, just like randomly, where they added in Harvey and they had a, f- a few more things in the game. I think they added in Amiibo compatibility. That was one of the big things. But anyway, they added in some new stuff. And that game just lived on for a very long time. And it's really good. And it's just, it's fun. <laughs> uh, one thing I will say is that I find Animal Crossing's New New Leaf's um, graphical style to be one of my least favorites in the series. There's just something weird about it. I don't know. That's like a very subjective thing. But it wasn't, it wasn't really for me. But uh, it, it's you can play it for a very long time. And, you know, it was getting to that point in the series where, you know, your villagers, were, they were very samey, but not quite there yet. So one of my big things with New Horizons is that I felt like um, a lot of the villagers just didn't have as much personality as they did back in the day. They weren't as mean to you, all these things. And I feel like that kind of started with New Leaf, but it wasn't 100% there yet. And so I did notice that and that affected, you know, me playing it. But, you know, generally, I think New Leaf is a fantastic game. And if you're an Animal Crossing fan, you should play it. (sighs) I really do love Animal Crossing. I know I give it a lot of shit sometimes. But Animal Crossing New Leaf and even New Horizon, the entire series, I really enjoy. And, you know, I look forward to seeing what Nintendo does with the next. Hopefully bring back asshole villagers. (laughs) I, you know, I would really love to play the other Animal Crossing games on Switch. And, you know, do I think that would happen? Honestly, no. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But I, I think it would be great. I think it'd be easy money for Nintendo, to be honest. But, you know, just looking at the success of New Horizons. You know, but do I think it'll happen? No. No, I don't. But if they did, I'd be there. I, I would I would rebuy City Folk Wild World. New Leaf, and I would, you know, buy the original Animal Crossing that I haven't really played, except for, you know, a few times emulating. But that's besides the point. I would, I love Animal Crossing because all the different Animal Crossing games offer different things, and so it can really just depend on the mood. And if I could just play them all on my Switch, I'd pay for that and I would play it. But anyway, anyway, another game that I really loved was Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy Curtain Call. I talked about this last episode, so I won't focus on it too much, but there's so much music in this game. If you're a Final Fantasy fan and you love the music, you love rhythm games, like, this is a really good fucking game. It has all the mainline games up until Final Fantasy XIV. Um, it has some songs, and but there's a lot of sad games, like Type Zero. It has, you know, 13 2, Lightning Returns, a lot of stuff like that, Crisis Core, even Advent Children, which is a movie. <laughs> Um, there's so much music in this and so much content, so much to play. You know, the beat maps are fun. There's different, um, difficulty levels. It, it's so good. I love rhythm games. I love Final Fantasy. 
and that makes this a really good game. I would love to see, you know, a new theater than Final Fantasy game with, you know, more songs from, you know, more updated games like Final Fantasy 15, 7 Remake, all that type of stuff. I would love it. Um, so yeah, if we don't get a remaster, can I get a new game? Please? <laughs> anyway. And then the last game that I want to talk about that I really think needs a remaster of some sorts is Fantasy Life. And this was a really fun JRPG. And, you know, it's one of the few games that you really, I feel like we don't hear about that much when it comes to 3DS. I mean, we do, but we don't. I don't know. But I really love this game. I put a lot of hours into it. And it feels almost like if you put an MMO in handheld format with no online. <laughs> like, because there's so many jobs to choose from. You, you make your own character. And there's so many jobs when it comes to, you know, fighting. But also, you can, you know, craft different outfits. You know, there's jobs like that where it's like, you can be a chef. You can do all these different things. And it's so much fun. And all the jobs have their own little gimmicks and gameplay stuff. And they also have their own little stories as well. And there is a main story as well. But um, it's just a lot of fun. There's so many different areas. There's like, you know, the desert-themed area, the icy-themed area, the beach area. All that type of stuff is so much fun. And I really like the design. The music is also very great in this game. It's just a cute, cozy game that was really fun on the 3DS and so much fun to play. And I would really love to see a remaster of this. It, it was so good. There's a lot of content in it. Um, you know, I put a lot of time into it and I still didn't really see all of what this game has to offer. I really fell in love with it. It's a really, really good game. And I, I would really recommend checking it out. <laughs> Man, I talked about Tomodachi Life a lot. <laughs> like, that, that's the end of my list. But now I'm just like, wow, I talked about Tomodachi Life substantially more than every other game. Which I think is fair, because it's I think it's one of the best ones. But anyway. <laughs> the 3DS generally was just such a good handheld, and I really miss it. You know, unfortunately, the eShop isn't as accessible now, and physical games are way too expensive when it comes to, especially, like, the more rare ones, but even the ones that aren't that rare are still more than I would like to pay. <laughs> and so I really do hope that more of those games do get remastered or ported in some way, or just more accessible, because, it, you know, it really sucks how some of these games, you know... I, I just might never get the chance to play because of financial reasons or just accessibility reasons, all those things. And, you know, the 3DS really is one of my favorite handhelds, if not my favorite. You know, I think it is my favorite handheld. Yeah, I think I think the 3DS is my favorite handheld. Do I think, you know, the DS is also my favorite, but the 3DS has backwards compatibility. So, like, by default, that's my favorite. <laughs> but, yeah, it's... It was really successful as a follow-up to the DS. I really loved it. And another thing is that I felt like the 3DS had a lot less shovelware than the DS. You know, maybe this is just my personal experience in the times of my life that I was in with the DS and the 3DS. But I remember on the DS, you know, there were so many licensed games that, like, weren't that great. Like High School Musical. Like, all those types of, you know, shows and movies and kids. And, you know, I remember, like, Lilith's Pet Shop and all that stuff. And, um, the 3DS, I think, had a lot less of that, but maybe that's, that's just, I was older and so I wasn't playing those, but I think it had a lot less when it came to stuff like that. 
But yeah, I think the 3DS has a lot to offer if you're at all interested in, you know, going back and reliving some of those memories, picking back up some of the games that maybe you didn't get to play that much that you still have that are accessible to you. You know, I think, I think the 3DS is really cool. I think it's a really great system. And, you know, I just, I got to keep an eye out for some of those games because there are still games from the 3DS that I want to play. But yeah, my big recommendations are Animal Crossing New Leaf, Tomodachi Life, of course, Fantasy Life. That was my other one. Theater Rhythm, Final Fantasy, Curtain Call. <laughs> Those are the big ones that I think a lot of you will enjoy. And also Fire Emblem Awakening. That was, that was another really good one that's really iconic. But yeah, I think that's about all I have to say about the 3DS. Right? Yeah, I don't have anything else to say. Okay, just just, just double checking with myself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Luna's Galaxy podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be back on Tuesday, August 2nd. I can't believe it's almost August. For the next episode, where we'll be discussing who knows what, except I do know that it will be Isonium Files Ravon Initiative. Look forward to that. If you want to be a part of the Luna's Galaxy community, you can join our Discord server, link in the description. You can also keep up with me on Twitter, Instagram, or Twitch, where I'm at Emmy Luna Games. I hope you all have a wonderful day, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>